Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Steph Douglas, and welcome to the second episode of our motherhood series for the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. Uh, first of all, a bit of a positive, a moment for the daylight. Uh, it's still a bit light at six o'clock at night, which is so good. I'm so ready for. Um, but currently it's, oh, that's wind and rain, actually. I don't know if you can hear that. Crikes. It is... 6.30 in the morning, uh, it's pitch black outside. My son and cat, Princess Leia, are bumbling about. I got up early to do this without them and they've kind of followed me down. But hey, <laughs> it's okay, we'll crack on. I mean, it makes sense, this is the Motherhood series. This is the reality. Um, so our second guest for the Motherhood series is Nina Tame. Nina is a mum of four boys who range from four to 17 years old. So they're quite different stages to wrangle. I don't know what having a teenager is like, but my four-year-old's current favourite one-liner is, you're ruining my life, which he delivers with real conviction to all of us at various points of the day. I don't know where he's got it from, um, but combining that with an actual teenager must be quite the ride. Um, so Nina talks about her family. She has some lovely nuggets of wisdom about how mothering has changed between the first child and the last child um, and her confidence, I guess. And she also talks about meeting her partner, Jace, and the dynamic of bringing him into the family after she had her first two children. Nina is also a wheelchair user and a disability activist. Um, which she mostly does through her Instagram. And we talk about how her views of disability have changed. We talk about ableism, which is something she educates a lot about. And I have to say, something that wasn't on my radar, really, until I started following Nina. And the way she kind of drip feeds things through her Instagram make you view disability differently. And it's kind of holding up some mirrors to your own preconceptions. So sit back, pick up your pace... Don't burn the dinner. I always listen to podcasts when I'm making food. I think another one of my children's just tried to come in. So we're all up. Everyone's up. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, um, enjoy the podcast. And here is Nina Tame. So Nina, talk to me about your family because you have four boys. Yes, various ages. So my eldest is 17 and my youngest is four. Yeah. Um, so my eldest two, 17 and 14, are like from my previous marriage. And then I met <laughs> Jace and then went on to have two more. Um, yeah, so it's sort of a, it's an interesting 
you know, feel like I'm dealing with children at sort of very different stages in their lives with mm. very different needs as well. Really different. I, like I've got an 11 year old and he's just starting to go into that teen thing and I can feel him changing and pulling away a bit. But I think from things that I've read and people I've spoken to about teenagers, they do have to do that, right? They have to like start to assert some independence at some point. So it's okay. Yes, it's, it's I think like, Sort of with Casper, who's 14, um, like, so Charlie, my oldest, is very like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get sort of a hug at Christmas um, (laughs) and like the occasional pat on the head. Uh, (laughs) Whereas Casper, who is 14, he definitely pulled away, but he will still be, if I'm like, oh, give me a cuddle. He sort of does this thing where he kind of backs into me and it's all very awkward, but I I take it because that's, I'll take those scraps because that's what I'm getting. Yeah. so I think it, it makes it all the sweeter, like, when it does happen. Mm. Like, even sort of Charlie, my oldest, will have his moments where he'll say something and it's so surprising because he just doesn't say anything nice, really, that it sort of almost means more, kind of, than when he was a little boy writing poems about how beautiful I was and stuff. Oh, but do you, I, I wonder if that's why everybody talks so fondly about when they were small, even though when you've got a four-year-old like you have, and I have it's not that long ago and you can still remember that it wasn't all wonderful Mm-mm. but I guess when you're further down the line and all you're getting are the scraps you're like well but I remember that kid that just thought I was the world yeah because they do don't they like mm. they literally you know carry my youngest you know he just thinks I am the best thing <laughs> ever mm. um, like, oh, you're so beautiful mummy yes Thanks, yes I babe. am <laughs> yeah. so, I know I know it's really hard but I make it back um <laughs> And then they kind of obviously, yeah, get that bit bigger and and it sort of goes away a bit. But it changes, though, because, you know, we now sort of will sit and hang out with them and, you know, with the older two and, you know, watch, show them series that they now like. And you kind of, it's just a different, like they make me laugh. I mean, they've always made me laugh, but Mm. as they're getting older and their sense of humour is maturing, like they Mm. really, really make me laugh. So it's it changes. And I think, like, for me my entire parenting journey has always felt bittersweet constantly because it always feels like you're kind of grieving in a way this child that you don't have anymore whilst Mm. being really excited to kind of get to know this sort of new version of them Mm. um and it just yeah it's kind of that like you know I can't wait to get rid of that bit then actually when you have you're like Oh, I just wish I could hold him one more time and smell their little heads. Well, you read something about that last time. You, you'll never remember when it was the last time that they reached their little chubby hand up to hold oh, your hand. With it, and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> it's all that blood. There's some poem, I think, about yes. the last time you'll ever pick them up. And every time I just cry. And I'm like, I hate this poem. It's yeah, rubbish. Yeah, yeah. But you were 25 when you had your first baby. So that was it very, very different how you felt as a mum? Yes in like a bajillion different ways so Mm. I wasn't in a particularly good relationship um Mm. at the time I was also I didn't really have much of a sort of a I mean I had my fat like my sort of my mum and my older sister and stuff but I didn't really have a lot of friends um I just didn't have much of a support network and I very much parented him against kind of probably what I wanted to do and I went very much with the shoulds so at that time Mm. it was like you know I let him I did cry out with him which makes me so uncomfortable now because it's the complete opposite to how I've parented the other two and I just thought well that's what 
you have to do and mm-hmm. you know my mum was really well meaning and she would be like you know well you just need to if he cries mm-hmm. you need to leave like he was in his own cot like I don't know it was all very by the book and this is what I should be doing and mm-hmm. then so when my second one came along I felt a little bit more I think I was 27 28 I felt a little bit more kind of confident and I breastfed him because I'd kind of wanted to with Charlie but the doctor because he'd been um born early and he was a bit jaundiced the doctor was just like oh just give him a bottle and I was just like okay then so like with Casper I felt like I had the sort of a bit more courage to do that and he was in a cot in our room and stuff but it was still different whereas my youngest two and I think a lot of it is to do with obviously just being older being more confident in myself Mm. having that confidence to just kind of smile when people suggest shit and then you know do what you want to do oh yeah you know, but also having Jace because he was so supportive. Um, you know, I mean, I ended up co-sleeping with both of them. I breastfed for, you know, I thought Clark was never going to stop. I thought he'd be like that kid from Game of Thrones. Um, you know, we just, I was just like able to do all of this, you know, just parent how I really wanted to parent and trust myself as well. I think because I was that bit older that, look, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to do it. I, it probably comes with age, but also just because you've done it before. Like I definitely felt that with my third, I'd worried so much less about what other people thought I was, like you say, mm. like what was I supposed to do? What should I be doing? I think I read that you've written somewhere that you, your firstborn was all organic, natural, homemade stuff. And then by the last one, their first food was probably pizza. <laughs> I think Carrie's actually was, isn't that terrible? <laughs> no. Yeah, we, we, we lovingly refer to Charlie as our first pancake. <laughs> it's like, but doesn't that mean I'm the one that went wrong? No, babe, it's yeah, not what no. we mean. <laughs> yeah. we, we just mean we just had to practice a lot. Yeah. But you do, you know, I think you do, you worry so, you know, there's so much pressure on parents, so much mm. pressure on mums. And, you know, is he doing this yet? are they doing that yet um you know are they good I used to hate that question Mm. what do you mean are they good you just become more relaxed you know I was more Mm. relaxed about everything I didn't push potty training um you know as soon as as soon as my oldest turned whatever two I think it was like right potty right you're gonna do it you know I remember Doug coming home and saying that one of his colleagues had potty trained their kid at 13 months and because I was having it was my first baby I was like oh god so I better get on with it and it was and it went on for months because I was trying to do it really I think he shat his pants every day for like six weeks he was not ready basically whereas with my last I left it as long as I could until he was literally saying mum I need a wee or mum I need a poo and I was like right off we go he wasn't like I mean he's still only four but it was on his time rather than Mm. on what I thought I should be doing and it was so yeah. much easier, so much easier. It is. That's what we exactly what we did with Carrie. I was just like, I'm just leaving it. You know, he'll tell us. I did get a little bit concerned for a bit thinking, <laughs> I don't think he's going to tell us. He yeah. seems quite happy with this situation. Yeah. Um, but then when we did, that was it. You know, there was, mm. he just was done within like two days. He knew what was going on and that was that. And I thought, oh my God, all that stress that I used to put myself through yeah. to kind of feel like you have to meet these milestones. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just exhausting. So I think I've definitely got more laid back as an mm. older parent, but also more knackered. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like the youngest two have kind of got the best of me in some ways because I'm way more chilled, but also I don't like 
get dressed up as like Supergirl and play with them in the garden like I did with my older two. Like, yeah. I'm like how did I have that much energy? Be interesting to see how they all, once they're all older, you'll be able to it'll be like a social experiment. We can go, right, so this was what I did with these two and this is what I did with these two. How did they turn Look out? They turn <laughs> out. Yeah. Good, well, we'll tune in for that in 10 years or so. Yeah, do that. That would be horrific, absolutely <laughs> horrific. And how did that. you how did you meet Jace? Because you, you talk about him a lot always very nicely he's a good one he's a good one he's um I met so I was kind of divorced I think I was a year out of um my marriage like single mum to two kids and Mm. Jace was like this little nerd who lived in London in a house share with his uni mates uh worked in London and we just met on Twitter there was sort of back when Twitter was good in Mm. I don't know when that was like early 2000 no I don't know about 2010 I think it was Mm. um yeah, we met on Twitter, became friends, met on a few like group meetups. And then I was taking Charlie, who was five, I think at the time, five or six to the cinema in London. And Jace basically invited himself along like a creeper. Um, <laughs> and then I kind of thought, oh, I quite like you. And then my friend was like, no, it's Jace, you know, he's a, a young nerd that you can't. And I did which is nice. It was it was weird because obviously, you know, I had these two children that were mine and my ex-husband's and Jace mm. had never been around children and trying to work all that out. Um, mm. You know, like he was just silly things that I would get really kind of annoyed about and on the defence. And I think his mum said to him once, we'd not been seeing each other that long. And she's like, look, She's always going to put those children above you and she will always be a mama bear about them and you're just going to have to take it. And I was like, yes, good, good woman. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's a good woman. God, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that about a mother-in-law who's very much, very clear on stepchildren or that kind mm. of relationship. Yeah, it was really nice because I think, you know, I mean, he literally didn't have a clue and he wouldn't have a clue. And, you know, and I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what it was like to you know, to be in a relationship and have children. It was, Mm. you know, we like the boys would go to their dads every other weekend. So me and Jace would go to London and I loved it, but I started to feel like I had these kind of separate lives Mm. and it just felt sort of, yeah, it felt weird. And we were really cautious. Like obviously Charlie had met Jace because I didn't realize that I was going to start seeing him. And, but it took, yeah, it took a, it took a while for both of us to kind of find our groove and, you know, what we were comfortable with and like Jace doesn't really tell them off like that's always been I mean he will step in mm. but in general like that's kind of my job and he's he's kind of very impartial and and everything else because I don't know I just you know they've got a dad and mm. and now and they've got a Jace and that's how we've always sort of seen it and they've both got a lovely relationship with him mm. um and he's never sort of yeah we've never kind of said right well this is your dad because yeah they've got one mm. And do the four boys all get on? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yes, no. It's, yeah. um, If we kind of remove, normally, like Jay says, we move one of them out of the equation, it kind of calms everything down. Um, They basically, so the eldest is mean to the next one down, who's mean to the next one down, who's mean to the next one down. That's the threat, isn't it? That's the one that's a threat to their role. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel really deeply sorry for my neighbours in the summer when they're all out in the garden because we live in quite quiet it's a lot of a lot of elderly people and bungalows and then there's just my four out in the garden like climbing on the roof and I'm just like sorry Um, but six is a lot like a family of six is quite unusual isn't it because I'm one of 
six, so it's a family of eight. So if you ever go anywhere together, it was just chaos. Like people didn't know what to do with you. Like Yeah. It's a, I mean, we don't tend to all, I can't remember the last time we all went anywhere to get, probably holiday before the last sort of nonsense of the last couple of years. Mm. Um, and we're just kind of sort of slowly thinking about doing it this year as well. Mm. Um, and I'm just like, oh my God, I don't know if the six of us would even survive a week <laughs> together. Um, yeah. Finding a holiday that suits all those ages is hard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be a fun challenge. Um, but yeah, it is a lot. And I, I think I don't realise how many until we're all together. Um, mm. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, there is a lot of us. And do you feel overwhelmed? Do you get that feeling of overwhelm? I think when the only time I really feel it is if they are struggling, like mentally with something like I, I just can't. Like I know it's life and I know that they're going to not, you know, there's good, they're going to have challenges in their life, but I can't Mm. bear it. Like I just want them all to be happy all Mm. the time. So I find that like, yeah, if one of them sort of, if their mental health and we, you know, and we're really open family and we talk about stuff and, and, you know, we support them through anything. But I think those are the moments where I get like, Am I do, am I handling this okay? Am I doing the absolute best I can to support their mental health and to make sure they're okay? Um, mm. And that's when I have to sort of phone my friends. <laughs> yeah, is this yeah. okay? Am I doing the right thing? Yeah. They're like, yeah, you're doing a good thing. You're all okay. You but yeah, that. that's kind of really most of the time. Like, just oh, I love it. The noise and everything else. I'll moan about it, but that's just you know. I always wanted to have a lot of kids and a busy house, and mm. you know, and them to have their friends here. And I just I love all of that side of it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's that. What's that? Another annoying saying? Like you're only as happy as your most unhappy kid or something. And yeah. it's really really true because yeah, whenever they're sort of like that, that's when I feel a bit. Ugh. Yeah, and it's it's proper like we're at that stage of our lives with the chaos of the rush hour where you've got you've still got a relationship that you're trying to hold together as well yeah. as the kids as well as them being different ages and all that stuff and then you also have this Instagram platform <laughs> was it an intention to create this platform no I mean I'd had my so I've had my Instagram since I don't know for about 12 years I think and it was oh. always just the kids and the cats um you know to you know to my mum and my sister and a handful of people mm. and then as I kind of um because obviously I'm disabled so mm. as my sort of disability progressed as I kind of found the disabled community on there mm. it just kind of gave me the courage to start talking about stuff that I'd never spoken about before because I didn't have anyone to talk about it with. Um, So I did not expect it to go how it has in any way, shape or form. (laughs) I remember saying to Jace at the beginning, it'd be really nice if I could just maybe get some like, I don't know, some free biscuits or something at some point off the back of it. That'd be nice. (laughs) I know Um, you're an actual influencer with your ads and all sorts, but also more importantly you're a disability activist so you as you say you well from reading more about your story you were born with spina bifida but you didn't Mm. immediately use a wheelchair like you do now Mm -mm. no so I was yeah so I was born with spina bifida and then kind of like reached all the general milestones just maybe a little bit later than the most and then 
it kind of all kicked off in my teenage years, which was a horrific time for that mm. to kick off. Um, so like during school, I'd be in and out of hospital and using crutches and all of that. Um, and then it kind of settled down. Well, I just looked after myself a lot more during my 20s, um, well, late 20s when I had kids, really. Mm. And then it didn't kind of, my mobility didn't start decreasing until I was pregnant with Clark. So sort of nine years ago. Um, started using mobility aids absolutely hated it and then obviously now progressed sort of to using a wheelchair but it was only kind of like four years ago that I even sort of discovered that a disabled community existed and it just kind of changed everything um and the way I sort of viewed it and stuff but and you you the way that you use Instagram I would say um from my perspective is that you're basically showing people as much as you can that you can use a wheelchair and still well you quite regularly talk about having sex or <laughs> not just <laughs> so sex that, we so like that, filthy little animals sex. yeah yeah um no you talk about sex or you'll talk about your clothing or you'll show off your wheelchair in a way like look at this beast I'm amazingly mm. proud of it and it's really interesting reading how your perception has changed in order for you to do that from where you were well I think you've said that you basically avoided as much as you can using sticks even though you needed to use sticks or a stick Mm. and then you didn't want to get a wheelchair what was that can you describe that journey well I think like if I look back now um so we had um like a family friend who had spina bifida like me when I was growing up but he used a wheelchair from birth and I had a real kind of thing like I just never used to really talk to him. And you would have thought, oh, you know, you've both got spina bifida. You'd have thought, you know, he was older than me, but I still never really spoke to him. And I think, like, looking back in hindsight, I saw how other people treated him, even kind of, you know, people I knew, how maybe their voice would change when they spoke to him and they didn't speak to him the same as they did other people. Hmm. And I think I just had a sense from a very young age that being disabled was bad Hmm. and you know, whenever, when I was sort of started using the walking sticks, people always come up to you and they're like, oh, what have you done? And I used to just kind of tell them my entire medical history at first. And then even when I stopped doing that and I would just sort of say, oh, I haven't done anything, I'm disabled. They would always go, oh, I'm sorry. And then I'd have to go, well, you don't, no, 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 you don't need to be sorry. And, I was going to say, what do you say to that? But by the time you've said it, they've like, they've gone, you know, they've had their, they've asked their question and not got a satisfying answer and they've gone. So I think, you know, I just kind of, I think every, most people feel like, well, being disabled is bad. Mm. You know, the word disabled is bad. It must be terrible being disabled because the only representation most people get of disability Mm. is maybe on the telly or in the news. And it is either that kind of, oh, look at this inspiring disabled person or this tragic, sad disabled person. And there's no room for any of like the stuff in between. And you know, that's sort of, I love clothes. I like interiors. I like makeup. I like all of this sort of stuff. And I think sometimes, you know, as much as my work can be very direct and very much talking about ableism and eugenics and all of this horrible shit, Mm. I think actually sometimes just having a disabled person online, not talking about disability, they're talking about fashion or they're talking about whatever else, you know, other interests they've got in itself challenges people's perceptions like 100% oh you're married and oh you've got a job or oh you do this you know I think that is really important and it's kind of the only place like social media is 
really the only place it truly kind of exists. I mean, it's getting better. There is sort of a lot more own voice kind of shows coming out. Things like Special on Netflix was really, really good. But in general, you know, the representation is so crap that people still have these outdated views on what disability is, what it means, what it must be like. Um, yeah, so I'd like to think well, I'm challenging some of that. You are, and you, but you mentioned ableism. And I think, again, it's something that has been discussed a lot more in the last couple of years. But prior to that, I I definitely hadn't really I heard hadn't or understood know. it. And I was no. born disabled. And yeah. I literally hadn't got a clue that, you know, this kind of discrimination against disabled people even existed, even though I still experienced it, but I didn't know what it was or have a name for it. I suppose outwardly, you've almost lived it from from other people's perspective. You've lived it from both sides. Mm. So you've seen how people reacted to you when you were in a wheelchair, when you had a stick and when you didn't have either of those. Mm. So that gives you a kind of insight, I guess, that a lot of people wouldn't ever have. Well, I think like my own sort of internalised ableism over the mm. years, um, you know, I'm still unpicking that. And my initial, I'll still, my initial thoughts sometimes will still be really ableist. And, mm. you know, it's that thing, isn't it, that your second thought's the one that counts. So I keep telling myself. But I think we are all, you know, it's like everything, isn't it? We have all got these prejudices. And, mm. you know, it's whether you're kind of actively unlearning them and undoing them but with kind of ableism it doesn't tend to be given any airtime or spoke about even in very very kind of left hate the word woke but you know those kind of circles disability will still get left out of the conversation mm. and isn't that just I think isn't it that of a minority group the disabled group is kind of the biggest if you wanted to lump everyone mm. together which and I appreciate there's a massive variety of people that would count as disabled but that's the biggest group in the UK of kind of oppressed yeah. groups um, yeah because we exist in every intersection mm. you know and so mm. when we you know and that's why when we're talking about sort of intersectional feminism or whatever else why it's so important to include disability because you know for me obviously I'm a white woman so I experience ableism I experience sexism those are the ways in which you know but for somebody else like friends of mine who are black and disabled they're going to be experiencing the racism and the ableism but it's like the ableism just gets sort of yeah just completely left out of the conversation and if you kind of look at it you know I'm not the most sort of learned person about all of this but under kind of a capitalist society we literally so have no value because, you know, for many disabled people, they're not able to work, even though a lot of the time they could if all the barriers weren't in place. Mm. You know, that's what it what it comes down to. Um, I sort of I spoke a little while ago in my stories about the fact that if you're trying to access any support or benefits or help, it's a really, really degrading process. It's a really hard process to go through. But when I was getting a grant um, for some mobility equipment through a scheme called Access to Work, it was completely different. I was treated with so much respect um, and dignity. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, because I'm a value, you know, I, I am a value because I work. But if you don't, mm. like it's, yeah, it's really grim. What's Because you talked about different... Um models and models of disability and I thought this was really interesting way of kind of getting into someone's head to explain the different ways it might be viewed and actually what might be 
a better way to view it. But you talked about if you were in a wheelchair at the bottom of a set of stairs Mm -hmm. and the four different models and how they'd view you differently was the medical model, the charity model, the moral model and the social model. Yes. Can you explain those? Yeah, there is more models than that, but I um, those are kind of the four that sort of impact me the most. So, mm. the chat like the medical model would basically view my sort of legs as being the problem in that scenario. Like, oh, your legs don't work, that's a shame, but you know they can't be fixed. That's it. The charity model would view me as needing kind of help. Um, you know, I think I likened it to you know rushing to get a group of people to lift Carry me up it. the stairs, of which you said. You said that you won't be having. Thank you very much. Seriously, the amount of places that will say, um, "Yeah, we when we're kind of accessible, we can carry you in," and I'm just like, "Don't be ridiculous." Um, But yeah, so that's kind of the charity model. The moral model is sort of it kind of sees disability as being your fault, like you're the failure. You must have done something kind of wrong to have got disability. Um, Sometimes that's tied in with like sort of have to watch. You know, be very not. Not saying all people, but I've had it before where often I will get somebody who is like a Christian who will come over and ask if they can pray for me. I was reading that and I was just like, oh. When I was, um, when I was, how old would I have been? I don't know, 18, 19, I had a toe amputated and I was going out with this guy at the time whose mum was a, a very a, a very strong Christian. So she came to visit me in hospital <laughs> and... She had a handkerchief, Steph, and she said, we've passed this around the prayer group. And then she placed it on my foot. And I'm thinking, is she whisking this away and my toes grow back or what? Because it's, like, otherwise, I want it's my money back. It's a miracle, yeah. It's like, like it's, that, it's that sort of thing. So those are those okay. three models. And the social model, now, the so- yeah. when I discovered the social model, that was a huge turning point in sort of the way I viewed myself. So the social model would look at that scenario with stairs and see the stairs as the problem. You know, mm. we put a ramp in and then it's fixed. You know, the mm. social model, um, you know, it doesn't apply to, you know, for all disabled people, not all disabled people would relate to it. But in my case, it's like I have, a, you know, I've got a medical condition. But actually what disables me more and what causes me more aggro is all the societal issues. So that is like a lack of access, um, you know, to physical, like to public spaces. It's people's weird attitudes. Um, It's, you know, it's all of these sort of things, which actually everybody could change, you know. Which, and also where there's not enough funding and there's not enough support. And all of those things. And, you know, NHS is it's a very hard thing to critique because you know in so many ways it's amazing but if you are somebody that can't be fixed or can't be cured it's not always amazing Mm. um you know there's a lot of ableism that that runs through you know and I've had amazing experiences and I've had amazing nurses but I've also had some shockingly awful experiences um and I know that I think every single one of my disabled peers I've ever spoke to would have a medical sort of trauma story to tell as well. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. One of the ones you wrote about when you're um, pregnant and oh, the midwife asking if she could see the lump on your back. Yeah, so spina bifida will often come with a, a, a sort of a, a fatty lump and she knew that and she asked if she could see it. And I felt I, this was so when I was pregnant with Carrie, my last baby, I really started to lose my mobility. So I really was struggling to get along on crutches. I was mm. huge as well. So I just felt so vulnerable. Mm. I just showed up. I felt so icky like literally like some sort of medical curiosity and well you said she delighted you could see her eyes light up when oh, she was you said oh, yeah, no, I have... oh god <laughs> I think she got a little bit moist and I was not into <laughs> it at all but you but again coming back to that when you're that vulnerable especially when you're pregnant and everything else and probably you're a slightly different person to where you are now because you've mm. learned so much and and you've changed some of your own views, mm. you just obliged. Well, yeah, because I didn't want, you know, like I just, I didn't want them to ever sort of look at me and have any cause to to think that, um, I don't know, that they'd need to send extra people around to keep an eye on me. Like I, I didn't want them to sort of think, well, she can, you know, she's disabled. So that mm. therefore means she's not going to be as good of a, you know, as a mum. So I just mm. had that in my head so much because, with Clark, although I used to, you know, I just used a walking stick, that was it. But with Carrie, I just felt like I looked, a, you know, I wasn't as strong on my feet and stuff. And I just had such a fear that, I don't know, that I'd have like social services sent around or something if mm. they didn't think I was this sort of, you know, capable mum. So, yeah, whipped it out for her. Oh, <laughs> God, literally. But interestingly enough, though, when she come to my house and because one of my uh, sons has got spine bifida mm. and she questioned about his, I turned around to her and said, oh, no, he doesn't like answering questions like that. So I was able to be like completely shut her down for him. But mm. at that time, wasn't able to sort of do it for myself. Did you know he had spine bifida before he was born? Yeah, we found out at the 20 week scan and it was very... Um, you know, it was literally delivered, followed by, would you like to continue the pregnancy? And I was mm. like, well, yeah, of course I do. Like, he's got the same as me. That's fine. We literally know what we're dealing with. Um, 
and I think I got asked about another well every appointment after that that I went to I got asked if I'd like to continue the pregnancy every single time and but you've said that that was a changing point for you where you've kind of viewed your own self differently once your child had the same thing you're like well he's glorious he's amazing his body's amazing he's amazing and you'd not ever given yourself those feelings no you know it was like he's he's you know he's presents in a really similar way to mine Mm. and I just remember thinking you know it looks beautiful on him how can Mm. I you know and I also knew then that I could never ever ever let him hear me say anything negative about how I physically look because that's instantly saying to him well I feel like that about you as well Mm. and that's not to say you know we allow him the space to feel negative about his disability Mm -hmm. if he needs that you know Mm -hmm. we will always kind of what's the best thing about being disabled you know is anything upsetting you today what's you know we'll always allow for these sort of conversations but never negative about yeah he was never going to hear that from me like about what we look like so yeah it was a huge you know it was a huge sort of turning point I think for me as well and you wrote for us a couple of years ago you wrote we did this sort of one month do you know I was gonna say that to you I realized you were the first person to ever pay me for like for writing to ask me to come and do something and I would think oh that was nice you see you can say you you can say you set that all (laughs) off it's all your fault well I think you wrote in there about your we we asked lots of people about um, one, what's your one mum's wish. And actually yours was to say that you wish that people would see you as a parent and not and not have all these preconceived ideas about what you must be as a parent or that you'd, I don't know, that you're not capable of caring because you require care yourself. I think that was yeah. the phrase you used. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think people just have this idea about this kind of extra care you need when you're disabled, which, you know, there there is definitely different things that Jace does. But then I think that's a bigger conversation about gender roles and how much is expected of the mum, mm. you know, if we're looking at traditional kind of gender roles. But, yeah, I think it's I feel the most I was writing about this today, actually, I I feel the most kind of the most underestimated, the most ableism when I'm in parental settings. Um, Mm. I've been able to kind of avoid the school run uh, with sort of Jace works from home now, which is great. So Jace does it. But actually, I really enjoyed, you know, I enjoy having that time with my kids one on like, I don't get that. I don't get that sort of 20 minutes alone time walking to school. Mm. Um, And so I've been sort of pushing myself to do it again and just get past the sort of stares or the people who are trying not to stare, but are clearly staring and all of that. And yeah, I think it's people just make presumptions you know about I don't know whether it's well that that kid can't have as good a quality of life or you're not able to do that or whatever it is but you know as parents none of us can do everything Mm. and you know I didn't take Carrie like when Carrie was small I never took him anywhere on my own whereas the older two before I used to chair you know I'd take him to the park go feed the ducks we did do a lot together and I didn't do that with Carrie because I was just terrified that if he ran I just wouldn't be able to wheel after him fast enough because he's a little shit. Um, but, you know, there's lots of other things that I did do. And I think in this sort of age of social media, age of social media, like it's been around forever now, but, you know, there's so much comparing, isn't there? Like with mm. parenting and and I think it's so easy to feel like you're not doing 
a good as job as somebody else but everybody has got their strong points and their weaker points and the things that they excel at in parenting and the things that they're not so good at Mm. and it's no different you know with a person just like somebody's health somebody's mobility doesn't impact how much they can love their child Mm. yeah and you've said that you and Jace have sort of defined roles maybe a bit more than you would have done but that you work as a tit you're a partnership basically I am taking the piss a bit though because when they were small I sort of breastfed them and I would do that I would do the sitting down breastfeeding and Jace would do the standing up and the rocking and Jace would put them to bed because it was well they co-slept with us for ages and then he sort of just started putting him to bed because that was in exchange for me having to be up all night (laughs) um but I've kind of kept that going for like three more years longer jace still does bedtimes because our children require us to stay in the room with them until they fall asleep oh god Um, when you get into that pattern man we we regularly fall into that and then you're like i need to extract myself from this well i just end up falling asleep and then i get so annoyed because my (laughs) evenings by the time we've got them all down that's sort of those precious few hours between like nine o'clock and midnight or whatever yeah i don't get those then yeah so i have taken the piss a little bit but no he does you know he we just you know we just take on different different things and mm. you know and other people are like what do you mean he does the washing I'm like yeah it's fine like it's the washing well, he did it before we lived together so yeah. you know he's quite capable of doing it now I mean it sounds like you guys have got a really good do you ever get really knocked with him yeah if I <laughs> If I'm hormonal, I'm either like completely besotted with him like this <laughs> to the point where I'm just like, I love you so much. Please, can we just go to bed? And he's like, no, I've got to work. Just leave me alone, you weirdo. <laughs> or I'm just like, I hate all men. I'm definitely more gay. Yeah. Um, that's 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 where I swing. But in, gen- but in general, we do just, you know, we, we're very, very, very different. And I think it just works mm. really well because of that. And he's just kind of not allowed me it's the wrong sort of way of saying it but he's been so supportive especially over the last few years with like my account growing bigger and the amount of work I'm having to do um and he just completely I always say he's like he's like the dentist to my Margaret Thatcher um (laughs) but I wasn't expecting that from you (laughs) can I clarify that can Mm. I just say that was a joke yeah and very very much not into the thatch but um (laughs) Dennis seemed like a nice man though. So I always just feel like he's he's just very he's very supportive. Um but yeah, we, we also sometimes bicker. I actually about about reclaiming your body, you've said that that's been one of your proudest achievements. And do you think that's in part your wisdom? I want to say age, but also wisdom, <laughs> because it feels like something that it's that self-punishing thing that we tend to do when we're younger. But you've said that you've really come to a different place with your body in the last few years. Yeah, I think it's like a combination of so many different things. So like I had always been, um, you know, an acceptable size sort of thing. I'd always been sort of slim. And I remember I would put weight on after like pregnancies and then I would punish myself and get it all into that mindset of, you know, I must get back down. I must shrink back down to that size again. Mm. And then like when I was obviously pregnant with Carrie was when I really, really lost my mobility. So I obviously gained a huge amount of weight. Um, 
And it was still something that really kind of bothered me. And it was actually sort of using the wheelchair because you suddenly become so invisible. I could literally be rolling along with nipple tassels on and and people would still be just like, oh, let's not look at her. Um, Is that what you find, that people basically avoid eye contact as much as possible yeah it's kind of that you've either got your blatant starers or the people that very clearly know you're there but don't don't want to sort of look it's just it's really weird um but actually it became really sort of freeing because I was like okay it just kind of all sort of I think just like you know just sort of loads of things clicked in my head and obviously you know and obviously social media as well and following accounts of other people who were you know really positive about the way they look and it just got to the point where I thought I cannot be coming to terms with being disabled whilst also be stressing about because I'm fat like I can't be doing that it's just too much work like there's other things to be thinking about and Mm. it was that same thing as much as I talk about you know disabled isn't a bad word it's a neutral term you know fat isn't a bad word it's a neutral term and it just kind of and I think as you say I'm just I'm not peacocking around anymore like I'm not interested in what other people sort of think about me Jace thinks I'm hot whatever and Mm. that'll do for me so it just I don't know it it just felt like I don't want to spend the rest of my life worrying I'd rather worry about sort of being a this sounds really I don't know but like kind of working on myself as a person inside Mm. than Mm. spending all that brain power in sort of trying to change the way I look on the outside yeah, no, that makes t- it's energy, isn't it? It requires energy, and as a woman who can be a bit tired, we don't have spare energy to give. No, and it's also and it's bollocks, isn't it? Like yeah, it's absolutely yeah. like you look through the ages. It's always somebody who's coming up with what is an acceptable way to look. It's general, you know, Eurocentric Western beauty standards that people should be slim and able, and you know, small mm. nose, big boobs, big, all this, and it's like. And it's all there to make a profit, to get, you know, people to not like themselves and spend money to try and change themselves. And it's it's a horrible, gross industry. And I was just like, you know what? No, I don't want to be a part of it. And mm. I still have my moments. It's I was going to say, not- how do you then, how do you do that? How do you translate that to how you kind of, what goes through your head? I don't know. I just have to, like, I occasionally will see a picture of myself back when I was, you know, size 10. And I just, and, and like, I'll be like, oh, that was nice though. And it's like, but that, but both things can be true. I can mm. appreciate, you know, I can look at myself at a size 10 and think, oh, I had a really nice body then. And I can look at myself now and think I have a really nice body now. Because I can guarantee, you know, if I live to be 90 and my tits are right even further down than they are and I'm wrinkled and I've got no arse left, that I will look back how I, you know, how I look now and be mm. like, oh my God, you were so hot. And I just, yeah, life's too short to be constantly stressing about cake or not getting to eat cake. I don't want that for myself. I've got enough to deal with Steph. Right? <laughs> and what would you say to a new mum listening? What's the one bit of advice you'd give them, bearing in mind what you've said about that change, I guess, for you from that first becoming a new mum? I think that to remember that everything is temporary and the kind of, I felt very sort of out of body, weird, like the whole world was carrying on while I was just here and nobody it was a very it was just what the weird feeling you're feeling isn't going to last forever and Mm. you are going to get a billion people tell you different things and just smile and then do whatever the fuck you want to do because you know absolutely best what is best for you and your baby and what would you go back and tell Nina 
would it be the same thing? You, young yes. Nina. To young Nina, it would definitely be to just trust your own gut instincts, even if it's going against the grain of, you know, what your own parents think or people in your life think to, you know, to trust what is best for you and your family. Yeah. And she doesn't know yet, but she's going to meet this amazing guy and bash out another couple of kids. <laughs> I am going to bash out a couple more kids. He does he does leave his socks randomly around the house, though, which is a bit of a problem. So I'd probably, uh, probably pre-warn her about that. Just yeah. keep the fucking socks on. Why does he take his socks off all the time? <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Nina. She is quite the charmer and a real breath of fresh air. So if you don't already, I'd really recommend following her. I'll put a link in the notes. Um, The colour on her feed alone is something to behold. I've got a couple of guests coming up um, that you may be interested in. We've got Annie McManus, the artist formerly known as Annie Mac, whose podcast changes I love, but also I've been reading her um, debut novel and it's awesome. So we'll be talking about that. Um, And I've also got comedian, presenter, actor, author, woman of many talents, Ellie Taylor. So any questions for either of those, please drop me a DM on Instagram or email podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com. And now you've listened to this, please go and give us a rating and review. I know when podcast hosts say that it can be a bit like white noise because they say it all the time. But go on now, please go on. That would be really great. Um, I'm very grateful to anyone who does. And I hope everyone's okay. Those lighter evenings are coming. We might get to feel some sun on our skin. It literally is howling and raining outside again right now. Just in time for the school run. Um, oh, we better go and get some breakfast now. Frank, do you have anything to say? No. This <laughs> is sitting on me. Um, I hope you have a good week. And we are off for some Weetabix. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.